Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. One of the coolest things about podcasting, especially right around now, when it's kind of a little bit like the wild, wild west. Every time I blink, there's not just a new podcast launching now, but there's a new network. There's a new format. People are testing. They're diving in. They're playing. They're experimenting. They're visioneering. They're just going, kind of going nuts with all the possibility. It is so much fun to see the level of creativity and innovation that's unfolding in this space right now. And, um, we want to actually kind of ride along with that as well. So um, we're going to start testing a couple of uh, really interesting, kind of cool, fun, different formats. Now, this is not going to replace our regular in-depth weekly conversations, but we may start to add to those shows. Today is a first addition to that. It's a format we call Nine Things. What is that? It's me hanging out, sitting around a table with two other people. Each of us bring three topics to the conversation without the others knowing what those topics are beforehand, and we will just rock and roll and go around the table until we cover all nine topics and we've figured everything out 100%, or maybe not. Maybe we'll just kind of move on because we can't figure anything out. The first conversation, my guests are Erin Moon and Gabra Zachman. They've both been on the show before as um, in-depth conversation guests, so you may know their names, and if you don't, go check them out. And of course, we'll include links to uh, both of them in the show notes. Um, this is being recorded after that first episode has already been done and edited. What I can tell you is the episode is raw, it's poignant, it's real, it's funny, 
And at points, it is absolutely not safe for work. So if you've got small children or sensitive people in the room, throw on some headphones. Be advised. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Shall we start with uh, Gabba throwing out the first topic here? Sure. Um, so I'm going to throw out uh, sort of an entertaining one to get us started. And I, I don't know much about it, to be honest. I did not do the research I meant to do beforehand. But this was actually something we were talking about in the women's dressing room of this show that I'm putting up right now. That one of the women came in and said that she had been watching a documentary on bronies. Has mm. anyone heard what Mm-mm. about this? I have. It's freaky. It's freaky. What's okay, bronies? so so the reason my friend found out about bronies because she read a story um, in the in the paper about, uh, and this maybe is the thing that kicked it off, or at least kicked the awareness of it off, mm-hmm. that there was an uh, I think an eleven year old boy who was really into My Little Pony, and he was made fun of for it, and I believe oh. he uh, ended his own life. Mm. I believe this is the story. Oh my gosh! But then suddenly, all of these people began coming out of the woodwork. Men, straight men, gay men, it's not, you know, to say, actually, I also love My Little Pony. And I've been, I, I learn a lot from it and I've been watching. And the grown, hey. grown straight men being like, actually, I so love- they started up this like, it's now become a thing called bronies, as in like, yo, bro, let's. <laughs> you got you, you like the My Little Pony. I like um, the My Little Pony. And and there's a, there's apparently two documentaries which you can stream on Netflix um, if you just search under bronies. So no so, way. but it, but apparently it's opened up this whole conversation about mm. I gather men, compassion, where we learn our lessons, mm-hmm. uh, how we gender identify at a that, young age. That's right, and and I guess just the just uh, letting people be who they are, right? Because yeah. here's something. Here's like a very extreme version of someone who is teased for just liking something, yeah. but of course it brings up the whole. There's just so many issues of people with, um, you know, confused sexuality, or I'm gay. I'm a young age, and I'm gay, or I'm transgendered, but I'm young. But I'm, and these people are, you know, teased, persecuted, blah 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 blah. So mm-hmm. I think this becomes like a lens in which we see that argument, mm-hmm. right? Discuss. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and go. discuss. I don't know. I just was fascinated by it. We were all having a fascinating conversation about yeah. it, being like, what is this? And apparently, it's actually like a pretty large, I mean, it's a big global community. That's um, right. Yeah. That, you know, manly men, you know, like all sorts of people. It's, um, I, I, I'm trying to remember where I first learned about it. It was last year sometime. There was some kind of news story on it. I don't think it was in relation to that kid. It was kicked off by something else. Oh, okay. But because yeah. um, I was kind of obsessed. I was doing all this research on movements and revolutions, and I was looking mm-hmm. for like unifying oh, factors. Mm-hmm. Somehow I stumbled upon that, and I was like, what a fascinating thing for for men to unite around. And like, what does it say? culturally about us and but also about the men um and like i'm going back and forth i'm like okay these dudes are just freaks well right but you right right but because that's my initial impression or like you know is there actually something really big and powerful going on here that like we need to actually explore well i just wonder if it's like any portal toward compassion is a fine portal for me so if it happens to be like a kid's cartoon which is in some way inciting compassion and and good good lessons about how to connect with people in a kind manner then mm-hmm. i guess i don't care that it's weird right well and and the way that we're we're crafting children cuz i think mm-hmm. the guys the the men ad- 
talking about it now is mm-hmm. about something they did as a child as opposed to maybe their proclivity toward my little ponies at the present no date. i think it no i think it is at the present it's it present is day. at the present oh, day present that's what's day. kidding me no no, no i know no that's They're, why oh, that's wow. why i brought this this topic was not in. like reflecting on their youth oh, this wow. is like no this is like active. dudes who are right into now. it now yeah, yeah. dude oh wow yeah that is okay so now it's starting it's all coming like, a i'm a little bit sleep no but this deprived. is why no this is look no look you don't even have to be sleep deprived to be confused but <laughs> this is why i brought it does this help, in though. It does. at least it gives me an out right. yeah, that's right but i mean it's all of us were kind of like you know we're in a dressing room where we're doing a, an old an old chestnut so we're all in like wigging up you know yeah. we're putting on wigs we're putting on 20s outfits and yeah. we're like these guys are doing what <laughs> like fascinating right now that's right well, and that's what's so bizarre about it getting wings and maybe it's we just need the next thing to entertain us or something because it's got to be a very small subset. Like, yes, there will be grown men apparently who play with My Little Ponies at the current date, <laughs> but uh, in the I don't know, Jonathan, Jonathan's saying it's a, it's a global movement, right? I don't um, know that it is a small – is it a small global movement or a big <laughs> How do you how do we quantify? Well, is it like one guy in Ecuador and like one guy in in Paris? See, I know the answer to that, but I, w- I would actually I would have to reveal my membership status. <laughs> that's, right, that's right, that's right, And we're sworn to secrecy; we can't tell how many. Uh, I saw that little brush when where. I came in your house. Oh, you'd have to you'd have to hand over your brownies. We're recording card. this. You don't have to out me like that, right? Oh, come on, man. Yeah. All right. It is interesting, and like, is it is it a compassionate thing? Is it a freaky thing? Is it just yes, yes? It's both. Is it maybe? Um, and is it just coming into our view because we need a form of entertainment. I mean, because there is going to be a subset of humanity for every small little thing. There are so bloody many of us. We come from a multitude of different backgrounds. There's going to be a proclivity towards the strange. Right. And who are like, who are any of us? I mean, I you know, I can see, you know, like a BDSM person judging mm-hmm. the person for being a brony. Exactly. Oh, totally. It's totally. Like, but, but really? Like, really, yeah. really? <laughs> yeah. I just think, I'm just wondering sometimes if all of this is just about seeking connection. Right. Yes. Right? It's just a portal towards connection, especially and in the acceptance. world in which we always talk about, and acceptance, in which yeah. we always talk about with all of our wonderful technological gadgets, how, in fact, disconnected we've become mm-hmm. as, a, as a people, that maybe all of these sort of seemingly fragmented things are all portals towards connection. I don't know. And we, we try to limit, it's like we're trying to limit our world to understand it all the time, instead of holding the space for all. That's like right. we're constantly trying to put all these mm. parameters around all of these things so that we understand our existence and our world and what's going to happen and what has happened and how do I define myself? Well, I need definition lines. Like I need to know I stand between this line and this line. Mm. And every time I do that, I separate myself from something that's more. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. when it's outside of that line, I go freaky or then I go, wait a minute, is that freaky? Oh, no, now that's part of my world. Mm-hmm. Now my perspective just got bigger. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or it's just about men liking ponies. And then there's that. How's it going to be that? All right. Next topic. Aaron. Well, going on that line, and I'm going to kind of... Men liking ponies or something else? About men liking ponies. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just about this idea of the parameters and limitations of our acceptance. I've been noticing, and maybe it's a, a perspective shift of my own because of what's gone on in my own life, but I've noticed recently I've had friends literally coming out of the closet about depression. Mm. Oh, Um, And I have one friend in particular who is suffering so greatly right now. And um, I just met with him. And one of the things that is so difficult about what he is going through is that 
he feels there is no community, that, that his mental illness is not um, accepted as an illness in our society, that we don't talk about depression in our society. We don't accept that it's a viable state of being. Mm. We don't accept that it's part of the potential. Like we're constantly trying to fix it or say, well, that's because you're just too into, you know, there's there's too much going on here or that's just a chemical thing. So get the, get the meds as opposed to like you could get on the best meds. You could go to the best functional medicine doctor on the face of the planet. You could do all the right things and you still might think every single day about killing yourself mm. and that that is somehow not a viable state of being or and that we're certainly not going to talk about it. Like we don't want to have it in our family uh, or but, accept it. Or, and like, so I, yeah. of course we know what, what you've gone through and mm -hmm. it's horrendous and you've had this incredible journey. Um, but I can, how is thinking about killing yourself every day a viable state of being? I don't, I mean, not acting on it is great, but I think that in the same way you could, if I wanted to play devil's advocate, I guess I could say how is thinking or that... I need to be happy or I need to um, live. Well, I guess live makes sense because you're trying to live. It's a viable state. You're, you're being. But it's, yeah, that somehow we're not allowed. I don't know. It just. I wonder if it's the word. Somehow we're not allowed it, 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 to. I think it's. Just, I don't know. I feel so like to, it's the word viable that you just used. Which maybe is like, that's which what like, it is. Because I think. I valid think, versus viable maybe. Well, maybe. Yes. I, I mean, exactly. Or common. Like I think the the, yes. the issue here, I think, is that. I actually think depression is the most common, I don't even know if I would say sort of situation, disease, mm -hmm. mental illness, struggle. I would use the struggle. State. Mm -hmm. I would say it's the most common state that I see in my community of people around me. Mm -hmm. And that is in varying degrees. That mm -hmm. is in a depression that's a temporary, a depression that feels long-term, um, depression that feels... Um, mild and depression that feels really, really, really uh, mm -hmm. severe. I think that is the most ubiquitous state I see my my people in. And I don't know, I don't know if that's given its fair shake. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's allowed to be in a world in which we have every other book is how to be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Seems Wait, like I, you could do something, right? Because what those books are saying is you have the, you have the ability to make yourself happy. Which is actually not true if someone has clinical depression. Yeah. Right. That's what they. That's what. The it's also not is. true partially based on genetics. I mean, yeah. yeah. And this right. is um, sneak preview from the next book, but um, <laughs> nice. is that there is actually there there's a genetic element to how happy you can you can right. be, and some people literally have a set point um, where it's set more towards the melancholy scale of things. If so, you're from anywhere in Eastern Europe, it is set far to the melancholy. <laughs> so, so, I mean, but the Literally. challenge is if like you're reading about all these things and if everyone around you is telling you, be happy, be happy, be happy. Yeah. And you can't genetically raise yourself through, I mean, let's say it's about 40% of this is, is your set point is around, you know, genetic. So you do have substantial control, mm. right? But you don't have complete control. Mm -hmm. So let's say you do everything behaviorally, environmentally that you can do to get, make yourself as happy as possible, but it still doesn't meet the level of sort of like societal happiness that everybody around you says is quote happy. Yes. Right. You're screwed because right. then everyone's judging you for not doing enough to get happy when it's like, no, you know what? You're actually, you're where you need to be and you're where you can be. Right. Yeah. Based on your biology. It's not part of it is absolutely within your control, but part of it's just not. And we freaking hate to own that. No, we do. We hate it. And you know, the other thing is I think people think that the opposite of depression is happiness, right? Yeah. That that, that they're opposite the, the the opposite of happiness is depression. 
but I don't think so. I think in some way the opposite of depression is acceptance. Mm. I I don't know. These so are theories that I've taken. I have a take on that. You do you go ahead. Yeah, and this is partly triggered by Aaron by my conversation with you a couple months back, but also by a conversation I had with Chip Connolly um even before that and he threw out he's like the opposite of depression is curiosity. Yes. Fascinating. And I thought oh, that was actually really that. interesting. Absolutely. Oh my God, and this I love is that. something that a friend of ours right, Jen then I heard you like uh, talked yeah. about this like what is this step? You know, we think that happiness is this huge freaking joyous symphonic mm. and it has to do with this collective stuff that we have or this collective bunch of definition of house and wife and you know husband and child and dog and thing and especially in western society like that is what makes happiness happen if we don't have that quantifiable those quantifiable things then we don't have it as opposed to it's the hope like it's that little piece the ability that my friend has when he's really uh, having a terrible time and walking around the streets of New York late at night mm. and and um, weeping, the thing that keeps him from going in front of the car. Mm. Like the thing that stops him every time he has one of those death thoughts from doing it, that is hope. Like that's the happiness. Mm. That's the curiosity enough to go, I'm not like to not have that choice be made. And that is in some form the bottom of his happiness. Mm. Yeah, that curiosity. Yeah. That's something. I think there's something really powerful in that. Yeah, I love and that. He, you and guys, he, that's something I'm going to think about The big thing for day. him was community and acceptance. That that we are not. He doesn't feel like any everybody else is living in a different reality, which he's going to feel, you know, partially anyway. But also that it's not. It's this hidden little thing, and it's not considered an illness, and it's not accepted. And yeah, and it's people. I feel are literally coming out of the closet about it mm. with, mm. to me lately. Mm. Interesting. All right, rocking on to uh, my topic number one. Yeah. Um, you guys saw the movie Whiplash? No. Oh, yeah. my God. I'm talking to the two people on Earth who haven't seen the movie Whiplash. <laughs> my God. Seriously? Everybody we need to it. stop this recording right now. You need to go just see watch it. Whiplash We're gonna and come back. It, like, that'd shortly. be awesome. <laughs> that'd be great. See, that's, but, that's okay. the next idea. The next but, idea is like now we stop and do the research right, and then exactly. get back on. So it's okay. But you guys both come out of the world of performance and so yes. you totally get this. It's basically, it's fictional version of like the jazz band leader at Juilliard. They don't really call it Juilliard. That's right. That's right. This, I've been like the most elite band in the world and this kid who's like a young kid comes, drops into it and he wants to be like in his mind, he wants to be the best jazz drummer who's ever lived and he's basically willing to die for it and the maniacal band leader is willing to kill him in the name of making him the best or destroying him and in the end it's a really powerful movie because it doesn't really give you an answer to the question Mm -hmm. do you actually have to work that hard to be the best in the world and do you need and you know like a maniacal sadist you know like narcissist driving you to that point to make it happen and the movie kind of leaves you saying I don't know. Yeah. And I would love to believe that it's complete bullshit and you don't. Yeah. I would love to believe that you can become extraordinary at something through some te- you know, combination of talent and just insane work and deep passion and purpose and love for it. But um, I don't know. And I'm curious. Mm. What do you guys think? It's tough, right? Because yeah, if you think of the best, the best at the best at everything, mm. and you think of their days... And what they do in their days, A, they all have a maniacal coach. Yep. Might not be to that level, but like they all have a parent. Yep. Show moms. Yep. 
right? Yep. In our world. Absolutely. Um, and in the athletic world, everybody's got a parent. They've got somebody pushing them. Yeah, my God, think so about hard. the Olympics. All think they think they about do. sports, anything. Yeah. And all they do yep. is that. Yep. They live it, they breathe it, they think it, they do it. Every moment of every day, all the athletes I know, the circus people I know, like yep. who do crazy things with their bodies, yep. like the the ballet dancers that people who bring their kids oh, yeah. to, you know, and start the ballet programs, their parents are the ones, the kids have the motivation. They might have the seed, mm-hmm. right? But then there's all of this stuff going on around them that's like, that's... Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I think it's commonly accepted that you can get really good. And then there's all, you know, like there's a Anders Ericsson's 10,000 hour rule, which now is sort of like starting to be pieced apart. And mm. now apparently there's all mm. sorts of um, flaws and it's not nearly as generally applicable as people once thought. But, you know, there's this, there's this difference between really, really, really good and like the best in the yeah. world. And mm. like, is that, you know, one tenth of 1% difference is the leap that it takes to bridge that massively different than to just get really, really, really good. And you know, this obviously doesn't even get into the conversation of, is it worth it? Um, yeah. There's another scene in the movie where you know, like the kid is sitting around the table with his dad and like an uncle and two other kids. And and he basically comes out with a line that says something like, you know, like I'd rather die at 34, but knowing I was the best jazz drummer who ever lived than live the rest of my life and not being that person. <sighs> yeah. Hey. Wow. Yeah. You know, and and your first <laughs> glance, you're like, that's sick. That's warped. That's completely messed up. Or is it? Or is it, or is it personal it? preference? <laughs> yeah. Or is it, or is it what drives that particular human in a way that's in its own right, right. beautiful? And if we didn't have those occasional people mm. in the world who make aston, who like lead astonishing, astonishing breakthroughs in science, in art, yeah. in like all this stuff, the ones where, you know, like they, they lead massive leaps forward very often to their own deep detriment and death. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it's really easy to see, to view this as a black and white yes or no issue. And that was my first inclination. Mm-hmm. The more I really thought about it, I'm like, this is tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, and is that consistency, like what he says in that moment is, you know, what is the real possibility? So for longevity, you know, it's kind of like a company who tries to make a lot of money right away as opposed to the company who sets up to have longevity and make more. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the question that I always find really interesting in the business world is as many companies that my dad would work for, I would see them where they would try to make tons of money right away, like the kid trying to get everything and all the fame as fast and as big and as intensely expansive as possible in his art. Or do you actually end up, when you don't do that, or do less of that and not get it all in right now, do you make way more in the end over a much longer period of time? But you're not going to be able to see it like you don't get your the bang off like I got my reward right away as opposed to I'm going to get my reward in 20 years. Right. No, I think that's I think that's right on. I mean, I think about these things all the time being in the being in the arts and I I come back to that that moment of thinking some combination of how do you enjoy your life the most mm. and what is your purpose on this earth? And I would imagine that for some people, how they enjoy themselves and their life the most and what their purpose is on the earth is that level of mm-hmm. rigorous. Right. I mean, I think for me, it's 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 not. I think how I love my life on this earth is more what you were just describing. Yeah, and, and as well for the, me. Right, that's right. Which I think is why it makes it really easy for us to pass judgment on that's, the other. That's right. But I actually think there are some people who thrive in being at the highest level of pursuit 
and who and who want that person next to them to push them to the next highest level of pursuit and that that is actually what they're born for and made for on this earth it's the people that we sort of look up to or watch or learn from they they guide us but i think for many of the rest of us maybe that's not how we would be happiest or best served yeah right? it's just so interesting because my mm. my first inclination mm -hmm. was black and white and then i'm like it's just not that straightforward and no. then and then like who and why am i judging Mm. Um, even though I'd really like to judge, because I'm like, that's insane. That's maniacal. I don't want people to live that way. But then I'm like, mm. but if they want to live that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Moving Round on. Round two. Great. Gabber. Um, okay. Ding, ding, ding. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, jump off of the point of it's not all black and white mm. with this issue that I have been fascinated by since it came up in the summer, which is the, uh, the Bo Bergdahl case. You guys been watching this um, in the newspapers and mm -mm. great. Oh, I'm so glad. Let me give you the, the two bit clip yeah. here. So this happened over the summer that there was, um, I believe an army sergeant mm. who was traded for five Taliban prisoners, uh, from Guantanamo, I believe. And I'm sorry if I'm getting any of the information wrong, but I've mm. read up a, a couple times about this cause I was fascinated from the time it came out. He was, so something we rarely do, right? We, we say we don't negotiate with terrorists, but there was a negotiation, and it was a really big one. Mm. They initially wanted a whole lot more. They got him down to five. And in exchange for this sergeant, whose name is Bo Bergdahl, we exchanged five Taliban prisoners. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Bo Bergdahl has just been convicted of desertion, meaning that we didn't actually trade these five prisoners for a war hero. We traded them for what was at the time a potential deserter, and he has just been convicted just within the last week of desertion. So what happened? Um, Obama at the time said, we don't know what the answer is, and we do, you know, it is written into our code of law that we will do anything to get an American back into a safe place. But mm -hmm. then there's this whole issue of the of the fact that we actually say we don't negotiate with terrorists, but there was a negotiation that took place. Yeah. But then there was all this conflicting information because this sergeant had sent emails home to his family saying, uh, I disagree with the army. I, um, we have done terrible things over here in Afghanistan. My superiors are terrible at their jobs. I want out. And he sent a bunch of his stuff home as well. So this becomes an incredibly complicated case. Why did we do it? Why did we negotiate for his release so strongly and so forthrightly in a way that trumps lots of other times past? Mm -hmm. Why did we do that? And I wonder about it. Was there a mistake in the intelligence given at the time? Or were we scared he was going to be giving information? Hmm. Or did we just not have all the facts? Or is all of this a publicity stunt for some reason that I don't understand politically speaking? There's like all sorts of gray and black so, and you know white and gray involved here. And, yeah. I mean, and what jumps out to me, and this is, I have like an even, even different lens on this, is is he less worthy of the negotiation if he is a deserter? That's, that is the question. Because is That's actually like, the question. Are Jonathan. you trying to yeah. retrieve yeah. a human being That's or are you right. trying to retrieve a non-deserting human being? Like is, is the fact that he violated the law because he consciously objected to the reason that he was put there, mm. right. make, does that remove what we would have considered a fundamental human right that's worthy of our effort? That is exactly what all the newspapers are talking about and what all yeah. of that, because there's, you can imagine there are huge camps on both sides. Yeah. There are people being like, he is a deserter. How would you do that? Da, 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 da. And then there's other people who are like, 
this is a human right. This is a human rights issue. Yeah, we got one of ours back because he was being held. Like it's a it's a triumph actually because we got someone back who was being held, you know, who was being held hostage. Yeah, and no, this the also the juxtaposition between no man left behind. That's right. And we don't negotiate with terrorists. That's right. Like what happens when you have two fundamental rules that hit right, but and that they happen to hit. Well, there's another issue going on, right? They happen to another... they happen to then hit where then there's a layer of how do we value an American? The right and how do we value someone who versus says American he's on board with what we're doing yeah. versus he's not on board with what we're doing? Yeah, do we view him differently because he deserted than we would have if he was? And obviously, mm-hmm. they didn't view him any differently, right? No, but it has come under intense scrutiny by the media, by the politics, by yeah. the army, by family and friends, Vets. by family and friends of the soldiers who didn't desert. By I mean, yeah. the the ramifications of it are, I find it endlessly fascinating because I can't quite, I can't quite parse out, and I'll never know, what yeah. information they knew going in, what they were trying to stave off, what they were trying to prove. Were they just doing their duty? Was this about something bigger? I mean, it's a, one of those issues that you just look at and you're like, oh boy, that's yeah. a complicated one. Yeah, and you wonder how much is behind the veil. Right. Like how much do we not know and as far as um like you said the politic the politics involved. That's right. Um yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a really tough one. Baffled, right? Baffled. All right, so we that's go. going down as baffled. Perfect. Moving on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Moving on. We we filled each box. Right. Yeah. Excellent. And um so and now for a man with three buttocks. Um, <laughs> Excellent. There's only one. <laughs> what? Damn, that was mine. Wait, Damn, something completely Shocks. different. There's uh, another one you need? Uh, 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 I've been talking to my I, wife. Son of a bitch, the secret's out. <laughs> we weren't supposed to go there today. I just want the people to really know you. There it comes from us, right? Oh, exactly. my goodness. It's with love. <laughs> Um, Three-butted so love. Yeah. <laughs> I am really interested in your guys, your both of yours, your opinions in particular. When you first posited this to us, um, the grand experiment, uh, this was the first thing that came to mind to talk to you guys about. And it's about the idea of goal setting and dream boarding and what your opinion is on goal setting and dream boarding. It's hogwash. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Down, don't do it. Down with it. I formed, a, I formed a, a, a political action campaign. Down with dream boarding. <laughs> and I was the first donor. <laughs> down with it, we say. My dream is to have no dream See, now board. this is a real issue. The whole thing about, you know, like deserters and stuff, please. That, yeah, no, no, no. I know. That's that was. I, said. I know. That's no, why I, know. I, I called like, on Monty Python. Python. I know. It was like I brought in something really superficial. I'm sorry, guys. So there's some science no. around this, actually. Are there? Yeah. Oh. If you're it. interested, um, that's why. And it's the um, it is uh, people call it different things, but in a way, it's the difference between what would be considered outcome simulation or visualization mm. and process simulation or visualization. Oh. Fabulous! Talk to me. And, this is what I was um, hoping for. So a vision board would be an example of this. Here's a, like a really vivid. Um, manifestation, picture, drawing, whatever it is, vision board, like what people make, they cut out things from mm-hmm, magazines. Mm-hmm. I want to really, you know, I want a Ferrari and a house. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's like, okay, that's where I want to be. That's what I want to get. That's what I want to have. This is the end state, mm-hmm. right? Whereas a process would be more like, this is the work that's going to take every day for me to get from here to there. 
And I'm going to keep bringing into my mind the tasks that I need to do and the work that it's going to take and visualize myself doing those things. The work, more so, the yeah, process. the work more so than just the outcome. Mm, yeah. So, what the research that I'm aware of shows is that um, the outcome, the vision boarding type of thing, mm-hmm. makes a little bit of difference. Mm-hmm. Process, the task-oriented visualization, doing the work that it takes to actually get there, is much more effective mm-hmm. at actually achieving that outcome faster mm-hmm. and achieving a higher level outcome. There's a really interesting book out um, called Rethinking Positive Thinking. Mm. And, um, and she really examines a lot of this research now also where she looks at and what she finds is esen- essentially my understanding of the research is that a realistic approach rather than delusional, mm. you know, like this is what I want. It's like crazy out there. But if I don't, you know, the whole, well, you might not hit it, but at least if you shoot for, you know, like the, the moon, you, like, you end up and you end up higher. Um, that can actually be destructive. Yeah. Um, and it can also stop you from actually doing the work needed to get it. And like mm-hmm. a really healthy dose of reality mm-hmm. attached to a desired end state, but a, but a true understanding of what you'll really have to do to get there is mm-hmm. the most effective yeah. way at actually moving towards that outcome. That's extraordinary. I, you know, I love to hear you say that because I uh, I feel like I've experienced what you're saying, which is which is to set goals without a reality behind it can actually cause real disenchantment. You and I were using that word earlier, but Mm -hmm. that kind of like that feeling of, but I'll never get there. Why would I even try? And Mm -hmm. that whole like downward spiral of kind of crashing. But I find that in, in general, for me personally, as specific as I can get, uh, I, I somehow, I think I manifest things more deeply as specific as I could get. So I realized recently mm. that I was doing a lot of, this is not quite what you're talking about because it's not exactly on a board, let's say, but but the basic idea, you know, that I, I uh, every morning I like to sort of say, have a, a goal or a this or that. I realized at some point recently that w- something I was saying to myself every morning was, today I'm going to be open to just greet whatever possibility comes my way and, and go with it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that generality is wildly unhelpful. It's like scattered energy. It's unfocused. Mm. It's it's like a random, like, uh, you know, whatever comes my way, I will greet it. That's that, that's not helpful. So there's, mm. there's some way in which um, there are two things that I think are at play all the time with regard to goals and dreams, which is to give yourself goals and dreams, but also be open to the ways in which it's actually possible for those things to be achieved. You know, there's mm. like a there's like a dual thing going on. I think there's a there's a specificity of the vision, but there's also got to be an openness to the reality, right? And the ways that it could actually be manifested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would add to that, I totally agree. There's also got to be an openness to the fact that the dream that you have laid out is far smaller yes. than than the possible outcome. That's wonderful. Yes. If you don't stay deliberately bound for that dream. So like I right. know so many people are like, this is where I want to go. And they get there. Right. But because they've had such fierce blinders on along the way, they have ignored like so many opportunities that would have taken them on a different path yeah. right. that would have, you know, so like their dream was to go from A to C, yeah. you know, but they had nine different opportunities where had they been open to the possibility that something actually even cooler existed, they would have allowed themselves to experiment and to explore and ended up not going from A to C, but A to Z. Yeah. Right, exactly. And this is the thing that interests me the most about at least a friend of ours, Lisa Benner, and I were talking about it last night, about this idea that as soon as the the goal or the dream is only your 
imagination and your perception of something, you are limited. Mm. Like at that moment, when you make that goal or dream, you are limited. Your perception is limited. Your life is limited to the parameters in which it exists at that moment. And when you're looking to throw yourself at that tiny little hole with the blinders on, you are inevitably going to lose a wing. And in Eastern philosophy, it all comes to expectations. As soon as you have the expectation, you will inevitably suffer. Mm. And part of the suffering is getting what you want sometimes mm. because it's not you you haven't opened yourself up to the limitless possibility if you follow each seed along the way or the task or following the goal the little the little bits and pieces so it's like what do you want to see manifest what feelings do you want to see manifest what qualities do you want to see manifest in your life so what are the seeds you plant along the way to accomplish that is a little bit more palatable to me like mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it gives that focus than the idea of a hard set goal cuz that is limited yeah. to what I thought of at that time. And if I don't open myself up to it, up to all those paths along the way, if I hadn't opened myself up to all the paths I had along the way when I was, you know, the 20-year-old kid coming to New York City who wanted to be on Broadway, you know, I wouldn't have the the, hap the things that have helped me find happiness again in my life after suffering the ultimate unexpected, mm. you know, and... And the one thing, one of the multitudes of things that that has given me is the sense that, well, the only thing that I'm guaranteed in life is that things will change. Mm -hmm. And that includes me and my goals and everything around me. And that doesn't mean that I should stop planting the seeds. But what do I want to, you know, as opposed to singling out what I want to see manifest. Okay. So, um, rolling around topic number two, person number... I don't know. It's um, you. It's you. It's me. <sighs> Interesting article in New York Times today. Okay. So this was about um, synagogues in the mm -hmm. United States, although it really could be brought into any faith-based organization, yeah. churches, whatever it may be. For years, apparently, so this is me speaking. Um, I, I love A.J. Jacobs' line, um, I'm Jewish the way that Olive Garden is Italian. Um, <laughs> that's, kind, that's, that's kind of the way I was brought up, right? Um so, so not I'm not really speaking as as that much of an insider here, but um, you know, like apparently most most organizations, faith organizations, have always been dues based, and they're sort of like a mandatory thing, and ah. it's mandatory based on different things. It could be like a percentage of your annual income, which apparently a lot of it is, but there's always an expectation that there's going to be a fixed dues. So apparently, because through a combination of really disenfranchisement with organized religion. And just a lot of people not having the money, especially, and this was actually, the article was about outside of Detroit, where a lot of people were just smacked mm -hmm. hard, and they couldn't go anymore. There, there, there's now like a growing number of synagogues that are switching to a pay-what-you-can mode, mm -hmm. and which completely changes the, the, the nature of the experience. So families that had just left faith because, you know, like somebody's out of a job and they can't go or they, they don't want to feel like they're being shunned or whatever it is because they can't meet their you know, recommended donation level are coming back and just paying what they need to pay. So the big question, of course, with that is, but is the net amount that's coming into the pot bigger, less, or about the same? And according to this article, it was actually saying that um, on average, I'm going to read it to you, uh, they have reported a 4% growth in both no. members and revenue, even as many congregations are declining on both fronts. Discuss. No oh, I love it. More. I love it. 
I would have thought, I mean, it's 4%, so it's pretty close to what it was before, but I would have really, I would have thought dead even. I wouldn't have thought less because they've done studies where they um, say no matter kind of how you rejigger it, people always donate the same amount every year. Like no matter whether they're giving $10 to 100 different places or they're giving a thousand to one they're only going to give that one or a hundred that was bad math <laughs> it's okay you're from canada you guys use a there decimal just, system there was just we 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 hope that you all enjoyed the silence that occurred that was like an amazing oh, for three people who oh, never God. stopped talking there was just like a very potent silence <laughs> No, that was so good. That's what it took to get all of us to shut up for like 10 seconds. I'm just trying to do the math, okay? Now you know I am a writer. We are all in the arts. Everybody, we're all in the arts. Sorry for me. That's what that was. No, I was actually just terribly terribly confused. <laughs> I was I was thinking uh, I was waiting, dollars I was, to ten and I was just waiting for Gabby to, to say something smart. Can't <laughs> <laughs> start giggling because so, it's never So the general end. idea of that thought was <laughs> we all we give the same amount no matter what the rules are. Yeah. So um and a little more to that story also apparently yeah. part of the process was at the same time um, these faith-based faith, faith, faith based organizations were becoming more transparent. So they basically say, we're opening mm-hmm. up our books. Here's what it costs to run this place. Oh, Here oh, are all amazing. of our expenses. That's amazing. So other people would actually feel like they're much more, they're not just giving because this is what you're supposed to give. They understand like what they actually need they to support. They understand what, the, what their support right. is. Right. So some people yeah. who were giving like the required yeah. amount started giving a lot more. Yeah. Knowing that they wanted other people to be in the congregation who couldn't possibly cover that and they wanted this place to continue to exist. Yeah. I just think it's a really interesting model beyond faith. Um, you know, just kind of like in terms of general economy and how you handle trying to serve people in times that are really struggling. And, and you, cause you would look at something like that, you're like, it's never going to work, man. Mm-hmm. Like if, if some, before I read this and if like a lot of people look at this, they'd be like, okay, we're going to do this. Never work. And in fact, we, right. So the three of us come out of the yoga world. We all yeah, have right. some experience and some of us like really on the business side. And when I was running a studio in New York City, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the original, original, original ethic in yoga was, you know, like you either pay nothing or you donate. It's donation. Like right, when, if you right. can't afford to pay, you just come and you, you take right. class and that it is what it is. And then in the big cities and, you know, it's like, oh, you can't do that. You can't mm-hmm. pay. Like we've got real rent, you know, like this is big boy yoga people. <laughs> um, and we've got expenses and teacher and payroll and stuff like yeah. that. We need, you need to charge a fixed amount. And then along comes, you know, this other brand, which basically says, pay what you can. Right. And they really flourish and have packed classes, you know. So it's really interesting because it, it, it keeps, it's another really interesting check that when you're trying to actually do something, we have, we tend to take the path of least faith in humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, when we, when it comes to, to building, you know, quote, um, responsible business and we move away from faith and we move towards like, show me the numbers. Yeah. And it's interesting to see what happens when sometimes you really, you just lean completely into faith, especially when you're a faith based mm-hmm. organization, mm-hmm. you step into that. And you say, like, I need to trust. Um, and then the community provides. Or you know, if you want to look at it from that faith, you know, mm-hmm. like, God provides. Mm-hmm. Um, however you want to frame it, you know, 
is this just about faith-based organizations or is this something bigger? And it was just something I was thinking on when I saw that article. Well, I love it. I mean, I, you know, I think it's what it's what we all wish could happen all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. Although I don't know who, now that I'm saying we all, I'm not really sure who the we all is. But <laughs> And then I'm thinking, of course, of, well, fr- from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Oh, it's a great socialist. idea that <laughs> failed so bad. You know what I mean? Like it's so... Mm-hmm. This is what we wish. Yeah. Again, I don't know who the we is, but right. most I mean, of us that's in the, the world. That's the utopian idea. That's yeah. right. Tom, we wish we the wish grandest it was this experiments way. out there. Yeah. I Tom know. Stoppard says, you know, we're not good enough for this beautiful idea yeah. when it comes to that. And I think that's what it comes down to. At yeah, when it some comes point, to personal human, accountability, right, right? Human nature and also yeah. like there will be, if everybody is of the same ethic, you know, it works. Right. But there will never be, when you start, there's, it's, can you actually scale this idea um, without stumbling upon somebody who doesn't share that same ethic, who enters into the tribe, mm. right. um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it tends to work. You know, if you're right. cultivating honesty and if you're cultivating community, then then that's the thing that's going to come to you. And then the hope, I guess, right. is that the money comes with that. Or are you setting up a business, setting up only a business practice that, like, the paradigm, you know, for yoga, it's kind of like. Are you doing corporate yoga in New York City where it's like a corporate, meaning you are a corporation who is providing for a person who can pay a price point and you're never going to deviate from that. You're going to say, no, we don't do Groupons. We don't do, you know, all these plethora of little Mm. coupons. And no, if you want to come to us, this is what you pay. And they do really, really stinking well. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Yoga for the Peoples. Yeah. Mm. Those kind of organizations who say... Well, we're going to be really honest and we're going to say, this is how much all of this works. This is how this costs. This is how the kind of teachers we have. Come, pay what you can. And they, I guarantee you, they they get, I mean, they get huge. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what their numbers are, but they do. I mean, I don't know what their financial numbers are, but oh, I know no. just in terms of attendance numbers. It's you know, insane. Like, right. I mean, and so the question really is then, do you have to pick one or the other um, to experience a flourishing real yes. business right and and it's like anything in the middle is kind of doom but if you go to the extremes of both the like those are the two functional business models i think it's interesting because yeah. like soul cycles are an interesting yes example mm. too like they open in a city surrounded by health clubs that all have you know right. indoor cycling classes and they open the studio where it's like you know a single class is is very pricey it's mm-hmm. on the absolute top of the market right. like they set the market Mm-hmm. And then they're, they're, the demand for their services is so over the top mm-hmm. that every Monday at noon, they open the schedule for the week. And like within minutes, every bike from all of the popular classes are gone. Yeah. Um, so it, it is really interesting. Like, you know, it's all, I, it does feel almost like you've got to play on one of the two extreme ends. Yeah, if no, you play I think in the middle, exactly it doesn't right. work. Nope. Well, like nope. the, the priest that you've talked about who came to uh, the community and went and went door to door to see what was going on in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And then built his, this mega church on, I mean, because of the fact that he listened to what the people, like he, yeah. he mm-hmm. found the honesty and, and it became the business. But I, I kind of feel a little bit like it is the business model works if you just do the good business thing or if you go from the honest thing because the honesty because if you try to meld in the middle then the business part ends up fighting the honesty yeah. because okay, inevitably you're going to But you just said something when you go you either do the business thing or you come from the honesty thing 
<laughs> which so so there's a big assumption in there, which there's is when you do the business thing, thing, you're yeah. not honest. Yeah. You feel it, right? I think that you're more willing to sacrifice your honesty when your focus is business. Hmm. I don't think I agree with that. No. Oh no, I have to think about it, but I don't think I agree with that. Yeah. Um yeah, because I, I mean, like, because I was the example of the of of the business model, right? For really, when, yeah. When I ran the studio, I mean, we didn't go do pay as you go. I mean, no, we no, did no, some no, things that were very that. ethical. You know, when we opened shortly after nine eleven, yeah, and we you just told everybody to come. Mm -hmm. um, but fundamentally, you know, like we were fixed price, we were yeah. business driven. Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting is, if I had, and there were there were actually a number of times where I stopped and I was like, you know. I really, really, really seriously considered the pay what you can model for yeah. the studio. And I, I was really close to pulling the trigger on doing it a number of times. But at the time, I was married, uh, owned a home, mm -hmm. and I had a three-month-old baby when I started the business. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you pile those things on. I'm like, okay, there's the kind of proven business model where at least I can justify the numbers to me and to anybody who's asking me, what the hell are you doing? Yes. And then there's the pure faith model, which could work which feels ethically like it like this is the you know like thing for everybody but man it's really hard for me to hang my hat on that if i'm saying i'm going to support a family in new york city and build a business mm. based on pure faith 100 yeah. percent faith and mm. when i think of that particular business i and that era of that business i think of the melding of community and business yeah. in a really good way so yeah interesting anyway we went way past yeah, on that it. topic no oh. i love that topic <laughs> no it's like <laughs> Yeah, it's a hard one. Well, I've, I I hate following that up with this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a Monty Python quote to segue us? <laughs> need to cleanse the mental palate. I don't know. The, the, I mean, let's push this into a little bit of trashy, okay? So <laughs> I guess this Well, my last topic is trashy too, so feel good about okay, it. Okay, <laughs> great, great, great. So the, the overall title of this would be online dating, but I think the subtitle would be how... Long does it take to get to the dick pic? <laughs> Question mark, exclamation point, smiley face emoticon. No hashtag? Hashtag, about that. it's always too quick, boys. <laughs> so what? here's what I wanted to bring up because I was talking to my friend Anna about this and we were like, we kind of would love to like make an, an educational website <laughs> in which people would sort of write in their experiences of like online dating and, and how inappropriately quick it often happens that, that, that a man will send you a picture of his penis. For real? Like really, really? That's why I brought it in, you guys. So here's, so Have I'll you had just, this happen to you? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll just, oh my God, here's, really? here's one for you. Here's a gift for you. I'll give you one. And then I'll say what we sort of wanted to do a, a, a site, like make a website that was like, you know, uh, how long had you been chatting? What happened right before the dick pic got sent? <laughs> your reaction to it and you know and then like and use it as an as you know the it, like at the at the end of the of the site you know it would be like personal stuff but it would all be fit into it and the end of it it would basically say listen gents in general we don't want it 99.9% .9 of the people are not turned on by this i think the greater topic here is actually what i find very very interesting on a on an online medium of dating mm -hmm. is that i the way that men are turned on and 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 
what they call romance and the way that women are turned on and what they call romance are at, in direct opposition to each other. So and sometimes it gets real funny. Break it down more. I'm going to break it down. Okay. So for me... Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating for me too because I'm, right. I'm married 17 years now. <laughs> that's yeah, right. 18 that's years. Right. So the whole world just like is... I have no exposure to Oh, it's, fa it's totally fascinating. And that's where I've landed. Mazel <laughs> uh, <laughs> Married for 10 years. That's and, right. That's right. That's oh right. boy. That's I right. love this world. I know. So, have you experienced this yet? Um, I a know. Bit, right? I mean, oh, not no, you don't, you online. Gone not, on. yeah, I have not been sent a dick pic. Okay. Um, I've, I've attempted <laughs> online dating a tiny bit and I've decided I don't have the time for it. I've I'm just gonna throw myself well, out gets, of the world, but it gets real. Oh it gets real interesting. So here, let me break it down for you, and yes, I'll do yes. it. I'll do it quickly because we're not, you know, we're we're doing three minutes in quotes. Uh, so <laughs> here's the here's the brief of it. Here is what I and I think in general most women, if they're not just looking to hook up with someone, all right. So let's just look at someone who's actually looking to date someone. What I think it is that we find romantic slash sexy. Mm. We connect with someone. There's a connection there. Maybe there's a conversation that starts. Maybe we get asked out for coffee. It, you know, we go from there. Maybe we go meet someone for coffee. Maybe we go see a movie. We do like to see when we see online profiles, you have to be attracted to someone. It's important. It's not that the visual is not important. It is very important. However, it's a combination of that visual and, and wit, conversation, courting, mm -hmm. wooing, Whatever it is, we take a while to get to know people, and that part of what it is, I think, that really drives us and really turns us on is the very act of getting to know someone. Mm -hmm. I, and and that's romantic to me. Is that is that is that conversation? Is that dance? I think for what I see in a lot of the men that I begin to chat with is that their desire to go to the sexual immediately, even if they're looking for someone for long term dating their portal towards that is in some ways this, the sexual. It's something tactile or it's very visual mm. and it's immediate. And it mm. goes immediately there as a portal to romance, to getting to know someone. Mm. I think in some ways, a lot of the men I chat with, their vision of conversation has to do with a combination of the written word and the visual and has to do with a push towards sexuality in a way that I often find very inappropriate for a very long time. Mm. That's breaking it down. Now, if we go to the dick pic, because I find this really interesting, because I find it to be totally inappropriate and real inappropriate when you don't know someone. But here was a recent one for me. So there's a picture of a guy, and I don't usually click on these, but it's just his his chest. It's just a chest pic. <laughs> this like ripped chest. And I think he flirted with me first, and then I sort of flirted back. And we're going back and forth. And I was like, you know, we started like actually a pretty interesting conversation, right? He was like, give me your email. Let's chat more. I was like, Okay. We start chatting. I was at home one night, sick, I think. So I was like sitting in front of my computer doing not much of anything. We start chatting. And the, and the chat is interesting. It's about our histories and our lives. And we're starting to get in a really interesting conversation, at which point I say to him, um, hey, could you, could you, I'd love to see more pictures of you. And his response was, oh, cool. Okay. Here's the rest of that pic. Right. So it's a picture of just his chest. The rest of the pic is <laughs> actually... I feel like there was music I should have entered, I should have entered and gone, dun, 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 dun. And the, the rest of the pic is like his shorts being pulled down and his, oh. and his erect penis, right? To which my response was, thank mm. you. I actually meant pictures of your face. But then, but immediately there we, there we were. And, <laughs> and there and, I was. And there it's sort of like, were. well, like, you know, and then it, it, 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not offended by it. It's just interestingly, what it does for me is it totally turns me off, right? So that's mm-hmm. a fascinating thing, which is that for him, that which is a turn on, totally turned. And it was actually a, a pretty sexy conversation until that happened. And then mm-hmm. the dick pic came out and it, I was not, I did, lost interest. Then I just was like, well, that's, that's, hey, that's nice, buddy. I mean, I'm not even sure really how to respond. Like, nice stuff. Uh, can I see your face too? <laughs> hey, buddy, that's a nice package. So uh, tell me more about uh, where you're living. I mean, you know, where yeah. do we go from there? It's not yeah. sexy. It's not interesting. It totally turns me off. And I think, I, I don't know, I would wager it pretty much always does unless you're in a relationship with someone. The only time when I was doing that with someone when it was remotely sexy, we were involved. Mm-hmm. And it so, was beautiful. And it was part of it was part of an interaction that had already existed. Flirtation. Did yeah. you, I mean, curious, like, where do I start with this? <laughs> yes, and, and let me just like, say, you're how welcome. Serious, right? yeah. how you're serious welcome. do this I was, play? And, and can I just say, this was, this was, this is your fault for asking me to come do this. <laughs> you asked for it, buddy. Except full responsibility. Um, <laughs> Okay. Um, did he ever send you a picture of his face? By the way, I did. I did. Then I got a couple of pictures of his face thereafter. Right. Okay. Did, I mean, what would be curious would be like if you, assuming that you continue online dating, assuming that there's this apparently is a pattern with you, and I'm I'm going to assume also that it's not just you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And I do. And by the way, special. I am talking to a lot of different people. Right. Um, and yeah, interesting that you know if it happens again or you know just kind of like respond and say. I'm just curious, like, and I'm not being hostile, but I'm just genuinely curious. What made you feel like this was the appropriate next response in the conversation? That's right. Well, I did have something with someone actually pretty shortly thereafter, someone I was having a lovely back and forth with, who then asked me the question, so do you like sex? In the middle of a like, hey, what do you do? Well, here's what I do. So do you like sex? Of which there's no actual response to that. Mm. Who's going to say no? Nobody. But who's going to say yes? Nobody. There's no response to that question. Mm -hmm. So I responded by saying, it's too soon to ask me a question like that, and I'm going to go ahead and ignore it. And his response was, oh, I'm sorry about that. But that happens actually, that happens frequently. Stuff that's, that's, the dick pic doesn't happen that frequently, but but inappropriate um, ovations of sexuality happen like very quickly and very inappropriately, I would say all the time. I would say like half the men I'm chatting with actually just really want to have coffee and get to know me. And the other half are like, so what are you doing right now? You naked? The amount of times I get, oh, you're home. You naked? It's kind of like, nope, I'm actually watching TV in my sweatpants with my glasses on. Dickhead. (laughs) Do you think it comes maybe also from it being a cold medium? Yeah. That because the medium itself is cold, instead of going for literal coffee, like when, to me, that's like a, 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 a I mean, you're right there, the interaction is right. happening. But because it's a cold medium, you're immediately like, your responsibility level goes down. Mm. And you're, you what you are perceiving as happening could be nothing about what's actually happening. And not meaning you. Gabra, I mean, like yeah, yeah. you as in the two people who are having the interaction. Because this fantasy can be happening over here, and then this fantasy can be happening over here. Absolutely. And it's even, it's met that mm-hmm. dichotomy between the sexes is even met harder in yeah. that situation because it's, there's no, the the connection is really. Well, so, so there's small. no, I mean, yeah. there's yeah. no nuance when yeah. there's no vocal. 
no, that's element right. there's, to there's the no conversation. Nuance. So you lose like you know, 80, 90 percent of the actual communication. But and, but still, that to me that doesn't forgive. Um, it it doesn't make up for. It. Okay, so there's no nuance. So you lose a lot of the information of the conversation, yeah, you know, because right. it's just digital. It's words on a page, right? Right. So you can't get, you know, and that's why you know, like emojis and emoticons were all invented to try and add some of that, and they, mm-hmm. they do it a teeny bit, but no, but but still, even given that, mm. I can't imagine a, a point in my life, my younger life, even when I was dating, where I would have even like remotely thought. <laughs> those questions were okay. No, I know. It's pretty um, amazing, right? And it's not that I'm, I mean, I'm an introvert. I'm not socially gifted. I'm not, I'm not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that all of a sudden I just, you know, um, it was, it's, it just doesn't come into your yeah. sphere. No, I know. Yeah. I know. So it's no, really it's hard so, for me so to understand like how those conversations well, I will unfold say, on a regular basis. That's right. Well, I will say this, because this might illuminate it a little bit. Here I was having a wonderful back and forth with someone recently who is a um, uh, Harvard graduate student, good looking as anything around my age, right? Early 40s. And we were having a charming back and forth to which I said, you know, I'd really love to meet you. And I have some time off and I might actually drive somewhere near to you. Could I even meet you and blah, blah, We're going back and forth and this and that. Something again, turned a little bit to, it didn't quite get to, to the sexual exactly, but it started to turn that way. Mm. It was getting a little bit late at night and we're texting and it started to turn back to him saying like, I love the way you look in these mini skirts. And I, you know, like, look, and I finally, I didn't respond to a bunch of messages. The next day I wrote to say, you know, I'd love to hear your voice. Could we talk sometime? And he sent a smiley emoticon and never contacted me again. Mm. And so I think there's a there's a, a separation between fantasy and reality. Uh, mm. So much and that's in what's it. going on. Yeah. Right. Because I was like, mm, and at this point I don't expect anything from anyone. You yeah. know, I start up things with people all the time. And I've also dated some very cool people. Mm-hmm. You know, people who who haven't worked out a, a, as a long term thing, but I've actually met lovely people online. Mm-hmm. But there's a weird filter you have to walk through first of like you first have to sort of meet them, which usually happens through email, yeah. maybe then text, maybe then a phone call, and maybe then a cup of coffee, right? Mm-hmm. And I always try to keep it to something like that because I made the mistake of doing things like dinners or drinks or mm-hmm. that never works out. The cup of coffee is really what you want. Mm-hmm. Right? And the few times that I've tried to do the internet dating thing, I've done close to no communication gone for the coffee. You're very yeah, probably like, smarter. No, you don't get my yeah. phone number, you don't get my email, you don't get my yeah. you don't get to text me. I'll meet you and have coffee with you because it's just like you saw a picture of me, I saw a picture of you, you've seen some of the things I'm interested in. Just like if we were at those are the things you want to know when you saw me across the coffee shop. That's right. In reality, you know, mm-hmm. in the way that people right. used to date. And that's as much as you're going to get. And so because it's hard for people apparently to get up and go across the coffee shop and actually sit down and be like, "Hey, right." You're cute because the chance is I could have somebody, I could be have a different sexual orientation, I could mm-hmm. have all these things, and then it's an epic failure right away. Well, those things have been taken out of account, and then we just have the coffee. But right. it's a it's it, the anonymity potential in in the online dating world is fascinating to it me. Is. And my friend said um, he's had the same thing where he's seen the same woman go pot by him on the street every day, and because of the fast internet dating one, the uh, Tinder. Oh, that's right. He'll be in the bar, and all of a sudden she's texting him. Hmm. And it, he said it's so fascinating. Nobody approaches each other. Nobody knows how to approach each other, or are losing that ability. Maybe not right. everybody, but are losing that ability to get 
to bra- like yeah. to, to make. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Um, Sherry Tuckle wrote about this in mm. um, in in her book, and she said one of the maybe it was her. I can't remember. There's there's research on on that that one of the things that's being lost um, is that when your conversation is like through texting or email or let's take texting because that's as close to sort of real time as you mm-hmm. can get. But just the fact that there's even a short amount of asynchronicity between <laughs> the things and that there's a moment for you to form a deliberate response, yeah. it removes a huge amount of potential vulnerability. Oh, So mm. people default to that. And in doing so, the more we do it, the more we train ourselves not to be able to handle vulnerability. Oh, so then God, what happens when you're in that real situation you're probably like, the more you do it digitally, probably the, the less likely you are to ever do it mm. in real life. And now I'm just completely projecting mm-hmm. that that may be a future thing, but it kind of, mm-hmm. to me, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. And you get used to it, yeah. you get used to it, um, not having to be vulnerable like that. Yeah. So then you feel- Which is a bad thing for humanity. You feel when you <laughs> are, like when you meet somebody just straight up normal, like the way that everybody used to and the way that people still do sometimes, then- you're sitting there and you're feeling like a clown and you're going to all your, you know, things that make you socially awkward and you're not used to feeling socially awkward. So that's it feels right. abnormal that's when right. actually feeling socially awkward is really normal. Like that's a really normal, a normal thing when you meet new people mm-hmm. is to feel weird and kind of hyper aware of yourself and say things and have your foot half shoved halfway down your throat right. to have mm-hmm. the time. And mm-hmm. like, that's really normal. And when you're doing that more often, you get used to and those feeling are, right. weird. And those are the things that people connect through. Yeah. Like right. those are the mo- – it's the vulnerable, awkward, like, you know, like those are the moments where people realize each other's humanity. Yeah. You know? And so when we remove that, we remove those moments. We remove those like points. I mean, moments of vulnerability and true openness are the ones where like those are the ones where magic happens in mm. a relationship. Mm. You know? So when you remove that, what's the long-term implication? I mm. don't know. We're in the middle that's of this great. right now, but mm-hmm. anyway, um, that's a great that, that's a great wrap up. That's a great question to that topic. Yeah, yeah. That's the long term um, implications. This is what this is. That's why right. many people um, do. Are we Listen. over to you now? I think yeah. so. Okay. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna I w- couldn't figure out for the third one. It's been really. I was like, oh, so many things. I'm not sure what to bring up, but I'm gonna go off of this topic and to kind of take it from my last, the last thing I blogged about, which is the idea of, um, how many times in a lifetime can you truly fall in love and, Mm. and what, and how does that change? And is that possible? And what also people define as, um, a loving compat, like really truly compatible long-term relationship and what forms that kind of love? Cause it's different than falling in love. I think what we define as falling in love is one particular type of a thing, that first bit. But being in love, I think, is a different thing. So, mm. Do you think falling in love is replaced by being in love or is added to? I think being in love replaces falling in love at a certain point from my limited experience. Mm. You You're know? talking about long time true love you're saying how many chances do we have yeah the right? true development of because i i right. i think i fall in love with people in a manner of speaking you know all a lot but that but the you thing mean the that real creates thing. the real the partnership mm. a partnership fall in love that type of fall in love yeah I'm just i don't know i mean you know i sort of think uh, uh if i were to give a practical answer <laughs> i would say i think we each get 
more than one and less than five. <laughs> but if I was gonna, but if I was gonna talk from a different the, perspective, the number is actually pi. <laughs> we, that's right. That'd that's be right. awesome. That's Einstein that's would be right. so happy. Six seven six seven. Repeating. That's right. That's right. Two point one four repeated. But I think that if I was to speak from a different perspective, I would say limitless, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe depending on which day you catch me on, I don't know. That's such a, such a great question. I, I wonder the question all the time. Mm-hmm. I've had one real one mm-hmm. in my life, you know, and, and a handful of other potential things, moments, mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I've had one real thing. And I pray to God all the time. The thing I say is, um, God, don't, don't let me have had only one chance. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like the genius thing of coming out of the gate back to Whiplash, right. coming out of the gate with your best. Yeah. Like the first book you write is the best thing you've ever written. It gets mm. the best press. It gets the best thing and everything after it. You know, it's mm. uh, um, uh, the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, that kind of oh, thing. Yes, like what yes. happens when you come out of the gate with your guns blazing, mm-hmm. right? So I feel like I came out of the gates with my guns blazing, right? And the one thing that people tell me all the time is, oh, my God, you are so lucky. I know I am. I appreciate all of that. Most people never get that in their life. And it's repeated to me ad nauseum. Um, and that's part of where the quest, the larger question of that comes from. And because I was speaking with somebody who asked me really honestly, and it wasn't about me, it was about themselves, mm. who said, but do you think it's really, like, can you really fall and have that partnership, that deep blending with another person, a soul, you know, that idea of soulmate. Is there one or is there, yeah, yeah pie. No. Is there <laughs> pie? Is there pie? I love, the, I love the idea. Is there one or is there pie? Yes. Um, and, and just to give a little context, in case anybody doesn't know your story, I'm, I'm the thumbnail. You, you had that magic. You had that absolutely like mm-hmm. love of life and the soulmate. And you were together for like a, a stunning 10 years and then mm-hmm. you lost him to cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been a, you know, powerful, emotional, moving, tragic, mm-hmm. all those things journey back. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, I've been together with my wife. We've been dating, I think, mm-hmm. more than 20 years, married, you know, like a mm-hmm. long time now. And I think, I, I hope you feel it, ask her. <laughs> yeah, I think we both feel that um, we're probably like every year, it just, it, we get deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, and, a great, that's a great partnership. That said, I don't know if I buy the idea that there is one person on the planet who's preordained for every. Right. Every person, you mm-hmm. know, I think, um, I don't know, you know, I found somebody who's like, we're astonishingly, you know, God bless, knock on wood, <laughs> whatever I need to do, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's working. But, um, mm. you know, I, I don't know, my sense is when you ask the question, you know, like, is there, can you find that again? I guess I can only answer from a place of hope, mm-hmm. mm. you know, um, and and a place of knowing the um, the person you are is so astonishing. I can't imagine somebody like you being on the planet and not being gifted with the opportunity to find it again. Mm-hmm. I just and there's Deborah something wrong and I with that world. About this because <laughs> yeah, this is because no, our I, dear friends, you know, who value us mm-hmm. and and stuff. That's the rea- that's the reaction to that question inevitably yeah. is well but I love you and I see all your gifts and so how right. could 
that not happen for you, yeah, you know? But it's coming from a place of hope, not, and uh, yeah, not I knowing. Yeah, I think so interesting. And the thing that, the reason why I've been, why I, I kind of love, love the question in a way is because I, my sister's response was, well, yeah, It was beautiful, actually. you're not yeah. who you were. That's so true. I know. No, that's true. It can't be what it was. Right. And I don't seek to find what I had. I have what I had. Right. That will always be there, always be part of me, always everything. But it's an interesting response to that as a whole because I don't, none of us know inevitably if we're going to find that. But whether it's possible, I'm with you. I feel the same way where it's like, well, I hope and I do actually believe that there isn't just one person that's preordained whether or not you'll find someone in the mm. right timing and the right all of that that will match you at the time in your life that you're having is a whole another puzzle piece i know i think you know i i always wonder what part choice plays in all of it also i feel like it's equal parts you know choice luck timing mm -hmm. But I think choice is huge, which is yeah, to do say, you choose to love. Do you choose to love? Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually, in some ways, the biggest question yeah. because I, I was recently uh, with around someone who told me she had one relationship. Um, she's now, let's say, she's, I don't actually know how old she is, but let's pretend um, late fifties. I don't know. Mm -hmm. She had one relationship, a nice long one, really big one, um, and it ended, uh, let's say, ten, fifteen years ago. And she said, I knew then that that was it for me. Hmm. And I thought, that's a choice. And I asked her a lot about it because I was fascinated yeah. by it. I said, How'd you, how did you know? Why? And she said, I just knew. I would not go through that again. Hmm. And I thought, that's interesting because I feel like I've lived a very interesting journey over the past <laughs> five years that has had in it a tremendous amount of loss, both in terms of a breakup, but in terms of death, but in terms of almost death. And I got to tell you, I'd choose it with two feet. Mm -hmm. and, and so it encouraged me in some way talking to her because I thought, oh, God, that made me in some weird way. And she wasn't upset about it either. It was a, it was a very open choice on her mm -hmm. part. It made me feel so much better because I thought, if I choose it and mm -hmm. if I'm open to it, mm -hmm. then at some point, it's going to come my way. You know, love's going to come and on, <laughs> on this. Yeah. And I think the same for you. You know, I see in you, even, even in the midst of grief, you chose it. You, cho you choose love all the time, which is a very different choice than saying, now I close and I don't choose it. I, mm -hmm. I just think that's a, it's gotta, it's a huge factor in all of this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you open or do you not open? Do you choose to open? Do you not choose? And that it's not finite. Like that's that, right. that is the love that that is. That's right. And that the love that you will have is the love that you will have. Yeah. Like the love that you guys have had in the early part of your marriage to the love that you have now are actually two different kinds of loves because you're different no than you have, right. were when you met. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to a certain extent, I think the, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's work, it's work, it's work. Of course, you know, but I, to a certain extent also, I think you just, if two individuals honor their commitment to grow into who they need to be as individuals, and at the same time, you grow in a way which remains compatible with that other person, mm -hmm. Some of that is choice, some of that is work, but I think some of it is also chance. Mm. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so to a certain extent, you're like, we're blessed. Yeah. You know, we're incredibly fortunate that we continue to grow in ways which which deepen our compatibility. Mm -hmm. You know, and do I have, did I choose that? No. 
you mm. know, I think it just is. Some of it just, yeah. yeah. So we, um, moving from um, dick pics to choosing love to manly beards. <laughs> to, to manly to beards? Manly beards. Awesome song. Oh you got to wrap God. up with something like this. Oh, with, I'm so no, happy. Well, I was actually going to let you choose between ex- exploding kittens really and manly beards. No, 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 no. Manly beards oh, yeah. is right. Like manly it beards feels right. Beards. Yeah, no, we've taken a journey that, yeah, no, I think dick pic to choosing love to manly beards is in fact the it journey. It really does. The journey of this conversation. Like, that is the <laughs> good life. I was just stunned. It was funny. I was in a, um, a friend of mine throws a conference in Fargo, North Dakota, which is like this amazing thing. Oh, right. um, AJ, Melissa, and Leon, like dear friends, and they throw this thing called mm. Misfit Con. And, and I had the, the, the great pleasure of flying out there and giving one of the talks mm. last year. And, mm. and you hit Fargo and you're like, what the hell am I doing in North Dakota? <laughs> right. Like a New York Jew in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, <laughs> like, a yeti, like, like a Yeti in the wilderness. <laughs> right. And I'm like, hmm. Um, but then actually it turns out it's a really, it's like a, a hipster town. It's actually really cool, really bohemian. And I'm walking around and I'm instantly feeling inadequate because I'm the only person in town without a manly beard. <laughs> oh, it's and so I'm great. like, I'm it's literally, so I'm in Brooklyn right now, like Brooklyn yeah. mm-hmm. in North Dakota. And I'm like, so I was like, huh, I wonder, so I was just like, I jumped online and I'm like, I wonder what beards are hot this year. Like maybe I should go. And I stumbled upon a website called beardinstitute.com. No. <laughs> and, um, and which starts out with this lovely little ditty, the manliest cool beard styles of 2015. And I'll read you the first uh, few sentences here. Congratulations. You have a beard that evokes images of manliness and superiority oh. to all those weaker men beneath you <laughs> that can't yes. or don't have the guts to sport a beard. Since time immemorial, men have grown beards as a way to show their strength, status, and power. Men that can grow a beard strike fear in the hearts of bare-faced baristas (gasps) of the world. They secretly want what you have, and now it's time for you to take full advantage of your genes and decide on a style that works best for your face and structure. And remember, beards aren't just a symbol of manliness. They also serve... Well, to keep you warm in the winter and protect your face from ultraviolet light, wear your beard proudly. But don't forget that a well-groomed beard is the key to invoking envy and attraction in the fairest sex. Oh, this is wonderful. Wow. This is really, really, really wonderful. Wow. I I feel feel like I have to view the beard differently now. I mean, I just formerly viewed it as facial hair, but now I suddenly, I I love this idea of it being like a symbol of like, take back the night, (laughs) like take back your power men and put the beard on your, you are more powerful than (laughs) this. No, it's, it's, it's just, that's fantastic. I mean, I've always been Personally, I've always been a fan of facial hair. I am a fan of the goatee. That's what I would choose if I was mm. choosing. Almost always. I love yeah. the goatee. I think I've, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a girl of the 80s. <laughs> I fell in love with Tom Selleck as Magnum P.I. So a mustache will always sort of win my heart. No, a full beard, no. maybe. Like, no. Oh, no, I've upset Aaron. Oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry. Not I've like mustache. ruined the afternoon. I'm sorry. It's such a good no afternoon. Judgment. No judgment. Wait, was it, was it the mustache or facial <laughs> hair in general? No, the mustache? Oh, I do like a mustache. Oh, dear God. Yeah. <laughs> You have something to say about I, this, apparently. I, I, beards, not, not so much. Beards, fine. And I kind of feel like somehow this is linked into My Little Ponies. Um, <gasps> oh, we're getting, because, we're getting back to the ponies because I feel like maybe it's a because they ju- they talked about the styling of said beard. Mm. Yeah, right. And if, had I read on that page, it actually lists the top beard styles for right? 2015. Right. You have to right. brush said beard. Of course. Right. My Little Pony always came with a brush. So I'm wondering, 
So you're saying it's it's the socially acceptable (laughs) brony of the face. Yes. So we're going, we're going, it's like, you know what the title of this, the title of this podcast should be from beard to brony. (laughs) I think that is the perfect place to wrap, actually. I want to thank my fabulous guest, Gabra and Eric, for an unusual, wide-ranging, stimulating, and deeply thoughtful conversation. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Love you both. Delightful. Hey, so I hope you guys have enjoyed this week's episode, Nine Things, with Gabra Zachman, Erin Moon, and Lilo May joining in and just trying to keep up with these incredibly bright, funny, um, and wise women. If you like this format, let me know. I'm at Jonathan Fields on Twitter, curious how you're feeling about it. We're always um, trying to tune into what you guys want, what's going to serve you best. As I said, this format doesn't replace the uh, the in-depth single interviews and conversations, but um, we are exploring potentially growing the frequency of the show, and this might be an interesting format to do it, our nine things format. And as always, if you enjoyed it, um, would love if you head on over to iTunes and just share a quick and honest review on the show. Share it with friends if that feels good. That's pretty much it for this week. I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 